live actually recording yeah we're, we're actually not live we're pre-recording yeah. <laughs> well chris Terry, welcome to the tangent great to be here it's great to have you in studio and uh you are i think our first returning guest yeah oh wow yeah so it was originally my wife but the uh, episode, the second episode we recorded with my wife just disappeared. Utter failure. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. completely failed on that. So yeah, uh, you're going to be the first real one that the, ends up ends up in here. So thank you. These things happy uh, happen, and it's a it's a happy accident for me. I like to rack up the uh, uh, the the accomplishments, and I'm I'm <laughs> taking all the credit for this one, <laughs> as you should. All right. We are, as we record, at the beginning of the second week of the Synod on Synodality, which will make this maybe the most uh, timely, topical show we've ever done. Most of our shows have no real time frame or relevance uh, at all. <laughs> but this one, we're actually- Way to build us up for the audience. Yeah, I know. I did, but this one, there's, there's a, a real event afoot in the life of the church that I think is, if we look at the landscape, maybe raising some questions for some who are following and for others is actually a completely unknown occurrence in the life of the church. Um, so let's talk about the Synod on Synodality. Uh, well, what do you want to know? Well, first, uh, what? And I'll, I'll, you know, uh, I'll do my best to answer questions about the Synod on Synodality. Of course, I'm, I'm not there right now. Right. Uh, this is the first one of these in quite some time that I actually haven't been in the city uh, to 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 see and to report on, uh, and the you know sure the reporter in me is uh, uh, sorry not to be in the middle of a big story, right? Uh, but I I do wonder, uh, and it could be sour grapes, could be grass is greener, could be lots of things. I do actually wonder how big a story it, it really is uh, because mm -hmm. of what you were saying. And even the Pope himself, just a couple of weeks before the thing kicked off, said, you know, I mean, nobody really seems to even, you know, to care or to know or even care about what this thing is, right? Uh, you know, that's a, a paraphrase of what he said, but it's actually a pretty close one. Uh, and uh, I... I on that point, at least, I don't think he was wrong. Exactly. So we've had this long lead up to the to the synod on synodality, and I think there's been questions from from the beginning. What exactly does a synod on synodality mean? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? <laughs> That's the sixty four thousand dollar question. I remember putting that question to. Cardinal Cherney at the press office. Uh, this is back in 2019. Was that the one that was on the the youth or Amazon? I I don't remember. They're all jumbled up in yeah, my I head. Think and I don't was, have my notes. I think 19 was Amazon, but I can't remember. Anyway, and the synodality had just begun to sort of come into its own as uh, something that had the pretense, at least, of being more than a buzzword and was becoming one of the, the, the hallmarks, if you will, of the Francis pontificate. 
And uh, we had already heard about how synodality was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, it was going to uh, revolutionize the way that uh, the church uh, understood herself and everything, life, the universe, and everything as it were. Um, and the the one question that I and others had uh, was, okay, well, what is it? And <laughs> exactly, <laughs> what is it? A and Cardinal Cherney couldn't tell us. It was the most important thing in the life of the church and the 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 greatest thing ever. But what is it? And you know, you got that that question drew crickets. Right, and has continued to draw crickets. Nobody can say what it is. Now, in, in the life of the church, a synod is a thing, okay? Mm -hmm. um, in the Latin West and, you know, for the universal church, uh, it is something by that name has been sort of recovered uh, in the past 60 years or so, um, in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, uh, it's a sort of a permanent body uh, of it, representing the worldwide episcopacy, right? The body of bishops throughout the world, and they get together periodically to uh, to meet and to talk about some idea that the Pope sets for them. Um, and, you know, in its original or in the, the form in which Paul VI, Pope St. Paul VI, I should say, pray for us, uh, recovered uh, the thing uh, or designed this thing and gave it that name anyway, uh, it, it was an expression of Episcopal collegiality, and that's fine, you know. Um, in the Christian East, a synod is a governing body. And one of the confusing points on this uh, is that uh, Pope Francis has talked about it, talked about synodality as it, sometimes as a, a recovery of this sort of Eastern genius. But what he has given us just doesn't look anything like or act anything like the thing that in the East is still and has been for many, 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 many centuries, well over a millennium, a going concern, uh, a, a means, an organism, uh, an organ of governance, right, it, it, for the church. They make decisions through a body called a synod. Um, in which all the states of life in the church, laity, religious, uh, uh, and bishops are, and other ranks of clergy are somehow represented. Uh, everyone has a voice. Not everyone has precisely the same say in an Eastern style synod. Um, but, uh, it, it is capable of doing things. Um, so to that point that the synod in the Eastern understanding, in the Eastern church, has a, a governing function. In, in the West, it's been the synod of bishops, 
and typically it seems to me has been geared more towards discussing pastoral application of the church's teaching or even articulating more clearly what the church teaches and understands, maybe calling for something new, um, a, a renewal in priestly formation, for example, uh, or a renewal in some other aspect of the life of the church. And so when the synod on synodality was was proposed, it seemed that some of the bishops of the East were saying, what you're proposing is not what we do in the East. You, you want to do this, but that's not actually how we operate. And so you don't understand what you're saying when you use this this phrase and, and cite us as the example. Is, yeah, is, that, I, is it I, the I, Eastern I, Catholic Church or Eastern Orthodoxy? Both. Both, both yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it makes me think of Inigo Montoya. You keep saying that word. It does not mean, I do not think it means what you think it means. You know, uh, sorry, my apologies to Mandy Patank. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's, it's very true that if this idea of, of a governing body is, is presented, I mean, how has it been? Well, we've already seen what's happened. Well, also the idea that the synod has any governing power of its own uh, is preposterous and everybody knows it. Pope Francis has made one thing clear, that the church is exactly as synodal as he lets it be. Uh, yeah. You know, and he, 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 he began this with his whole thing about the synod unfolding uh, cum petro and sub petro. Uh, that is with Peter and under Peter, um, with the 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 weight of the emphasis on the second part. Uh, yeah. And when he rolled out his uh, uh, new law uh, establishing the synod as a, a a body of its own permanently, uh, the way it's set up, it, it, it is very clear. Uh, that uh, the synod not only can't do anything without the Pope's say so, but whatever the Pope says the synod has done, the synod will have done, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So it's unmistakable, and I'm not saying that that's good, bad, indifferent, uh, mm -hmm. but it is what it is, and I think that... Uh, uh, lots of the folks, including some people who, you know, who have positions of responsibility in the church for the synod uh, are uh, not doing the Holy Father a terribly great service by pretending that things are otherwise. When the synod was called a couple years ago, it seemed we're going to have a broad consultation of the church. We want to get as much feedback as we possibly can. Then we'll gather uh, for, for this period of time to actually have the synod using all of this feedback, all of this data that's been gathered from different parts of the church throughout the world. And that's based in the census fidelium, right? Like that was the pitch. Well, the, the idea was we're, we want to solicit from the churches, like from the right. local churches, from, from every diocese throughout the entire world. We want to solicit feedback right. and what, what do you see as, as the major needs or, or concerns facing the church? So it wasn't necessarily to see what the church believed? No. Okay. No, it was, it's, it was more on the on the pastoral thing. So there was a lot of discussion about like pastoral care okay. uh, in various and sundry ways. And uh, that does track with what's being proposed though, yes? It, it seems to so far, but right. part okay. of what the problem is, well, is sorry, we don't really Matt, know what's being what, proposed. What is it? Uh, I saw... So I, my understanding of the synod was that it wasn't going to make any doctrinal changes. I feel like that's been reaffirmed a thousand times. Um, 
Now, I'm not suggesting that's actually happening or right. not happening. I'm just saying that's what I've heard. Yeah. Um, well, and it's so, a, yeah. but it's a, it, the synod isn't going to change doctrine. And we know this because it can't change doctrine. Right. And I'm not yeah. talking about a, 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 a metaphysical re reality here. I'm not making a mystical ecclesiological statement about the powers or competences of the body. I'm talking about a practical nuts and bolts. Right. That's not what the synod does. Juridical right. fact. Yeah. Okay. It's not set up to do that. Right. It can't, they, they, they can't put in a lunch order without the Pope's say so. <laughs> But part of the problem seems to be that that is not the understanding in certain quarters. Take, for example, the synod in Germany, where they seem to be quite free about thinking we can change doctrine, we can say whatever we want. And so now, granted, that's a, a, a separate process of a, maybe a parallel process. I don't know if that's the right the right way to describe it. But you have separately, like in the National Church in Germany, they've had this synod where they've called for all kinds of things that, uh, in fact, would be a departure from the church's teaching. So we've got this this real tension then of we want to consult broadly the the church throughout the world, uh, but then we also see that over here in this one in this one corner of, of the church, there's something kind of kind of weird going on. So it would seem almost right. like there's a proposal to change doctrine, even though you're absolutely right. Right. It's been affirmed, no, the church isn't going to do that. And no, the synod can't do that. So how do we balance that both? <laughs> okay. Two things. One, uh, the Germans have been causing trouble for civilization since uh, they, you know, since... Arminius fought General Varus in the Teutoburger Forest, okay? Um, and uh, that's, that's another fact, uh, all right? Um, the German church is uh, improbably wealthy, mm -hmm. um, and the Holy See relies on a lot of German church money to do a lot of the things it does, including a lot of the good works, all right? So uh, that's something to keep in mind. There are, there are real-world practical considerations here. Uh, the German church gets a lot of its money through a church tax that's collected by the government and then disbursed according to membership, and the German church is bleeding members, which means uh, that, you know, and there are always all of the caveats that my good friend Stephen Bullivant and other competent uh, uh, sociologists will uh, insist that I uh, mention and and cleave to, uh, you know. But if present trends continue, as we say, right, then you know, within the arc of a generation or max two, the German church is not going to have a uh, tax base sufficient to support itself, let mm. alone be contributing wow. to, you know, um, anything international, right. yeah. anything international. Yeah. Right. Uh, so they're, they're, they're bleeding members. And that means that, you know, they're, they're losing market share if I could speak crassly, right. yeah, yeah. but not inaccurately. Yeah. Uh, the synodal path that the, the, the German church has undertaken is if we're being perfectly frank, somehow meant to uh, to, to to staunch, to, to stop that bleeding, 
Um, how exactly it's going to do that uh, it still remains to be seen, but yeah. uh, the Holy See has expressed its uh, concern, displeasure, consternation. Pope Francis took the unprecedented or almost unprecedented step, uh, certainly in the post-war years of writing. In fact, the last time that a pope did anything... Like what Pope Francis has done was uh, in the run-up to, uh, to to the Second World War, right? Uh, with Mit Brennen Asoga, writing a, a, a letter directly to the to the mm. German people yeah. um, about and to the people of God in Germany, as it were, about the 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 synodal way yeah. and urging them not to break with. Uh, with the the universal church, uh, so that that's not insignificant. Yeah, if we can just tangent for a second here, you, you mentioned Pius XI's very important letter to the German people. Your German uh, pronunciation sounds a lot better than anything I would say. Can you just mention the title of that letter again? Because I think it's an important thing for people to know that Pius XI, in fact, wrote and warned about the dangers of Nazism very clearly and strongly. Uh, mit Brennene Sorge is I believe the proper pronunciation. My apologies to uh, <laughs> the German the speaking German listeners. listeners that we have. <laughs> to Nina Hiramon. Yeah, exactly. And that is it. <laughs> Sorry, Nina. <laughs> um, but the, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you here. So in, in the lead up to the Synod, then we've got this, we're going to have a broad consultation with the church throughout the world. We want to get uh, feedback. We want to get opinions. We've got the, the German synodal path that is, is fraught with problems and seems not to respond to what Francis says. Uh, seems to ignore his his suggestions that hey, you guys might not be quite on the the right track that you think that you're on. But there seems to be then in that global survey of the church, not a whole lot of order or clarity about what exactly it is that we want feedback on. I, I had a chance to look at some of the questionnaires that were available. Uh, from different dioceses and everything, and, and all of them were different. None of them were asking the mm. same questions, even though, I mean, I was only reading English language questionnaires, but none of them were the same thing. None of them were asking the same questions. Uh, here in, in, in the diocese, we had synod delegates called forth from, from every parish. and um, I was one of them. Were you really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I was the listener for my can, parish. Yeah. Can Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. What was it like? So it was it was a fairly interesting experience. We didn't have many people stop by. If I'm being honest with you, um, altogether the people who did stop by didn't call for anything crazy, um, which was you know very encouraging for me as someone who prefers to not step into the crazy. Um, <laughs> We did have a couple of people say things like make the clergy men again or but but like that was in the right direction. You know what I mean? It wasn't it wasn't let's let's bless same sex unions. You know what I mean? It wasn't that. Right. Um, But I think I mean, honestly, total, I think we had like maybe seven people stop by, maybe eight. Wow. Um, So a really small number of people that actually responded to the invitation. Yeah. 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 And, and I believe it was, so it was right after mass. And I believe that the pastor of our, our church made the announcement right after mass, right? So, so it would have been like, go downstairs the same way you would for a coffee hour. So. And it's, it's therefore also very clear. Today's the day. Right. Go do this. Yeah. I mean, he might've made prior announcements. I don't remember, but. From my synod delegates at the parish, 
they came back and they said, Father, this entire thing seems so unclear and confusing. We think it's just kind of inviting craziness. We would prefer not to participate if that's what it's going to lead to. Wow. Um, we're honored that you asked us to do this, but we'd like to step away and Whoa. not do this. Whoa, I so didn't know that. my synod delegates quit almost immediately. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's... and it, I, this is not a, a knock on on our local no, effort no, with yeah. this. It was, it was they they took a look at, the, and these are they're very well informed Catholic people. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, one of my synod delegates has a doctorate in theology. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what he's doing, yeah, yeah. and he just said, "I I don't want to do this. This right. is this is not. I don't feel comfortable with this at all." And I thought that was a really interesting thing to say by itself. Right. And to me, that was actually a very loud statement. Yeah, it's a very good indication uh, of, hey, here's, here are some of the, the faithful saying, I'm not comfortable with this thing that is being proposed. It lacks clarity and it, it lacks uh, a sense of, of proper shape and, and ordering. And I don't want to participate in something that's, that's yeah. like that. And to me, that was, that was really convicting. And so I did very little after that. Yeah, sure. In fact, I don't. I mean, that's not. The I don't only think anybody from the parish, that. Chris, has heard anything about the synod. Have I mentioned it at all? You you hear me every week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I I I don't I don't recall it coming up at any time. I can't remember ever talking about half, it. Uh, you know, since, since I've been back, right? I've had I've had uh, zero enthusiasm for this. To be very honest, like I as as a priest, I felt that was the other thing that bothered me. Okay, when in all the questionnaires that I looked at, mm -hmm. we didn't actually have a questionnaire. Specific to the diocese, there were some, mm -hmm. there were some some broad strokes um, guidance for ways that you could ask questions or solicit feedback, which was helpful in the sense of here's here's what you can do. Um, but one thing I noticed in all of that was not once were priests asked anything. Mm. Like as a pastor, what do you see? Right. What are the struggles that you face? That that like there were things to families addressed to families as as families. What what do you struggle with? For to people who are alienated from the church or who are not practicing, why don't you practice the faith? Not a single question to priests to say, what do you see? Right. And I thought that's that seems strange to me. And so kind of from the get go, I I'll be honest. Maybe this is a little bit of my own defensiveness that yeah, came sure. out. But I was like, I don't think they really want to know what I think. Do you think it's an indication that there's a there's a there's a separation between looking at the priests as also a part of the faithful. I'm sorry. I, I just struggle so mightily with the idea that high-ranking senior churchmen in Rome could be uninterested in the pastoral realities of a parish <laughs> priest on the ground. This is just shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why would, why would they care so much? <laughs> yeah. Well, this, but this was exactly it. Like, we can joke about that. <laughs> oh, it's shocking. <laughs> like get our handkerchief out and everything. But Oh, my fur and whiskers, <laughs> as my dear friend David Mills might say. Yeah. But there's there's a I don't know, there was just something about it that and maybe I'm not taking the most uh high road spiritual approach. But <laughs> like and, and I should I should probably have a, a more uh, a more mature, uh less uh I don't know, childish approach, but, but here I was not, not for nothing feeling like, you know, as a priest, I don't feel like they want to know what I think. Right. I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm part of this, but to your point, I think there is since the council still kind of a struggle to understand that while clergy have a particular role in the life of the church, mm -hmm. they are nevertheless part of the baptized right. body of the faithful. 
Like, I'm still a practicing Catholic. Right. Um, <laughs> well, actually, this is a thing that, that I would say, and I, I don't have notes in front of me, uh, so I, I'm uh, not going to name names, uh, but uh, one of the senior – uh, churchmen in Rome involved in uh, the organization of uh, and the management of this latest iteration of synodality, whatever that is, uh, recently repeated one of the refrains that we've heard, right? Uh, uh, that everyone is invited uh, to participate in the church in general and in this process of synodality and especially with regard to that first one to you know to participate in the life of the church i i uh you know if i had a chance to address that uh and to speak to the fellow you know a quattrocchi as the romans say right uh, literally at four eyes you know face to face we'd say in english right very eye to eye it feels, it <laughs> right. feels much more intense when you say four eyes uh, right? you know um that uh, uh i i don't need an invitation i am I'm, I'm a baptized catholic right i uh i i I do my best to keep the precepts of Mother Church. I believe everything that she proposes to me for belief, certainly everything that is uh, necessary for my salvation, right? And he here's the thing. I have rights in her body, rights that you most reverend eminence, and every cleric high or low from the Pope all the way down, and in fact, every other Catholic down to the last neophyte is bound to respect. Mm. So about that invitation, where does that leave us? Yeah. Well, you're, I mean, of course you're right that every Catholic, by virtue of their baptism, is already invited and included. Um, so then, are we talking about a, a misunderstanding of what it means to to participate? Uh, a misunderstanding of, of what it means to to be part of the life of the church? That there's only certain ways of being in the church that count. And so we've have we so badly missed the boat on that that now we have to kind of do these verbal somersaults to to get the invitation out there to remind people of that. But if that's the case, if if we've lost the sense that by virtue of baptism we all belong to the life of the church and mm -hmm. therefore have have a stake and therefore have a right to to be there to to belong, um it, it would seem then that the the question isn't so much let's solicit as much feedback as possible, but let's let's address the real problem, which is that we haven't taught. We haven't we haven't actually explained this reality to people. This was a thing that came into focus for me uh, during the uh, recent World Youth Day. All right. Uh, now, full disclosure, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon, and I know that the listeners at this point will be will be <laughs> shocked, very surprised to find Again. out that I'm a bit cantankerous about There's things from so time to time. So many shocking things happening in this interview. Uh, that that said. <laughs> Uh, 
it, it really did feel to me, and I think I wrote about this somewhere uh, at the time, um, that Pope Francis, uh, with his, you know, his appeal to todos, 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 right? Uh, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Uh, is sort of fighting the last war. Um, that the question that I have encountered in my students, in my children, that I've put to myself from time to time, and not merely as an intellectual exercise, right, is, isn't, well, do I have a place in the church? I think we're clear on the point that everyone does. Um, but the question that certainly the, the, the Gen Z folks have is why bother? which is a very different question and mm. one that really can find an answer in, in two moments, right? One moment of which is actually teaching, as you were saying, and the other is a recovery of the real sense of the drama, not of a life of faith, but of life in general. Um, and that a life of faith actually discloses and grants access to the drama of life in general is something that I think, if I could again speak crassly, is rather a selling point uh, uh, on which uh, the folks uh, at the, the, the level of synod management uh, don't seem to be sensible. Yeah. So Matt, as a former high school teacher, mm -hmm. very recently in the classroom with Gen Z students. Sure. Um, did you find that any of your students were talking about, and you were at a very Catholic yeah. school, did you find that any of them were talking much about the Synod or with any kind of enthusiasm, like, we want to participate, we want to have a voice at this? Uh, no. The short okay. answer is no. Okay. Because, um, yeah, Chris, then, no. then you also currently in the classroom and, and teaching high school students, do, do you think that any of your students know that this is happening right now, unless you told them? Uh, I think... I think uh, it would be fair to say that awareness of and interest in this is rather tenuous uh, and spotty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to go out on a limb and say absolutely no one, uh, but I'd, uh, I, I'd bet that if we were to take a, an impromptu poll, the numbers would come back pretty low. Yeah. So if, if we've got low numbers there, then... I don't have an And issue. this is after how many? This is three years of pretty intense. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, in, intense insofar as crayon drawings of, of like various silhouettes of people and, and ridiculous childish handwriting. Oh, the deliberately the, infantilizing elements of the publicity side of this operation have been shocking. Yeah, and just ge awful. I, I, genuinely appalling. I mean, and I think there's fair criticism to level there, right? Whatever whatever issues might be raised at the synod to one side, I, I think it's fair to just say they picked the worst graphic design they possibly could have picked if they wanted to attract people. Like, it's not good. It's not pleasing. And I think it does deliberately infantilize. So it makes it feel like something that's not serious. But in, in fact, I, I want to take... I want to take every synod very seriously. Yeah, sure. You know, like I'll, the ecclesiologist take, in me says that we have to take councils, we have to take the events in the life of the church as serious moments because they can be such powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit. They can be such powerful ways to yeah. discern and understand what are the what are the things that need to be spoken to and addressed in the life of the church. I, I'm all in. I'm all for all of that. Was that, that stuff. advertising 
for the United States in particular, or was no, it international? Globally, the, it was. the the logo for the I've the seen it. I wasn't sure if it was just for here. Oh my goodness! It's it. I mean, it looks like it was done with Crayola. Yeah, I didn't. And, I didn't put together and that's, that. It looks that's like a not a knock on the excellent company that is Crayola Crayons. Please sponsor us. Um, but it was, it was just like, it, it made it seem so, just so silly, and so unimportant. And that's a that's a painful thing to see. You know? I also don't think it's entirely fair to five and six year olds <laughs> to their artistic abilities. It's true. So we've got we've got all of that stuff happening. Relative like disinterest. And then actually, so if that's something you're seeing with Gen Z high school students. So um, I would say the the longer answer would be if it was brought up, it was probably brought up in jest or mockery. So but so, kids who are relatively well informed about the life of the yeah. church in, in your case at, and at the school from, that you're from, teaching at. For lack of a better way of phrasing it, conservative Catholic families, the vast majority of them. Well, and, and also families that are keeping up on, on Catholic news. For a lot yeah. of people who aren't keeping up on Catholic news, not much is going right. to they're, – they're not going to really hear much about yeah. this. Uh, but then globally, participation in synod sessions and in giving feedback wasn't like global participation on average around 1%. Wow. I uh it, something like that but then uh, I mean you know 1% of 1.3 billion people you know are not entirely insignificant numbers Very true. but that said uh you know are not in, in absolute terms that's still a lot of people right you're it's uh you know you're dealing with 10 million people right uh more than um th that said uh the idea that the methodology adopted that any methodology any uh polling practices and it, it, there's there's no way to gauge effectively the opinions of 1.3 billion people sure um and that you know and then we say well it you know it uh the whole people of God were consulted on this. Well, no, they weren't. Okay. And and you need to stop saying that because you don't believe it either. Okay. And it just, it, you know, look, the, telling the truth is important. Okay, it just is, and uh, you know, but ask the victims of Father Rupnik, you know, um, that's another, you know, it, it, at a time in which the moral credibility of the clerical and especially the hierarchical leadership of the church is at an all-time low, you know, and we're at, you know, uh, Hoos and Luther levels of, 
uh, discontent and distrust of the, the hierarchical leadership, right? So we're dealing with a 500 year crisis, if not a thousand year crisis of credibility yeah. in the hierarchical leadership. Isn't of it the terrible church. to live through history? It's just, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't um, want to live through a historical moment, Matt, but you know, here I am. When you're, <laughs> when you're facing that and people think, well, well, these guys are only out to sell us a bill of goods. You don't counter that by trying to sell people a thing that is transparently a bill of goods. Yeah. So Chris, this is, I think an important thing. We have the the synod kind of coming at a time when, look, there there are synods on, uh, on a regular interval in the life of the church that discuss various pastoral needs and, and things like that, and for the most part, they're they just happen, and we just go along with the like that rhythm, and it's generally speaking not anything overly controversial. But it seems like in the last ten years, all of them have been relatively controversial, um, but. Also, how, how was the Synod on the Family controversy? Uh, um, footnote, whatever, Nemours Laetitia. Okay, okay. Right? I didn't realize it was connected. So yeah, that there's there's been these 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 things that come out that. Well, there it's yeah it's it, it's interesting to note that, and I'm glad you brought it up, and it was a great question to ask uh, because what you what you saw there, and that was sort of that was the first series of these that were really entirely of the Francis pontificate yeah. and part of the problem was that there was a promise of uh, uh, transparency and uh, broad involvement and listening and all of the things that we have heard, right? And then it turned out that they were about as highly and carefully managed affairs as all of the other synods. They weren't particularly, they weren't really worse. Uh, there were some particulars that were were pretty egregious around both of the the, the extraordinary and the ordinary assembly on the, of the synod on the family. Um, but that were within the ballpark for synod management, um, and really popped on people's radar, uh, I think because of the psychological effect of, uh, how well disconsonant they were with all of the talk and all of the promises about this shiny, magnificent new Camelot era that we were in, in, in the Francis pontificate. Uh, I don't necessarily think that at that point it was any worse than 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 anybody who had run a synod before, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but the thing that people were sensible of, even if they couldn't quite articulate it, was that well, this guy and his guys for him have promised that he would be and that they would be better, and then they weren't, and that just not being better. So, and then insisting that, no, no, we really were. And if, if you don't think that we were, then you're against us and you hate us. You know, that, that is- Which seems to be a, a fairly consistent refrain when it's any, if a criticism is leveled uh, in the life of the church right now, it, it seems to most often uh, be met with, why are you opposed to the magisterium of Pope Francis? When sometimes it's simply a, a a question about what's being done, or it's pointing out that what's what's being done might not be the best course of action, that there might be better ways, or there's a question as to why wasn't this thing done done earlier. And you bring up uh, the the scandal of Father Marco Rupnik, 
which I think is a really important uh, important point in the in this moment of the life of the church, but also a, a series of other things that have happened in these last several years that are. I think pressing issues in terms of credibility in the life of the church. If we can address these things and address them well, we have credibility. But if we can't address them, then why are we allowing ourselves to be distracted by these these other questions that don't really seem to to have much in the way of of impact? I mean, if anything, I would think why why do people leave the church? Why have people stopped practicing the church? Actually, a very good question to ask, right? If if yeah. we want to know and that's that was the one part in the synod that I was I was kind of of two minds about. So the synod is saying we want to consult people who are are not Catholic or who have stopped practicing the faith. Yeah. And there was a part of me that was saying that doesn't seem to make any sense. We should be talking to people who are actually practicing the faith and who actually care. And then at the same time, I went, but no, we actually kind of need to know what was it that drove them away. Because that might be something that we as a church can address and try to correct. I was thinking about the um, was it Pew Research that did the the poll about Catholics and their belief in the, in the Eucharist? Eucharist. Yeah, it was like what, and and it's it's abysmally low. But what did what did it's it like three out of ten, right? Or yeah, <laughs> but what did it result in? Well, now here we are in the United States in this period of Eucharistic revival, right, right. trying to respond to that, trying to teach about the Eucharist, trying to encourage Eucharistic devotion, which to me seems like a great thing. We realize that there's a problem and we're trying to respond to it in a way that's that's going to bring people into the truth and help them to experience the gift of the Eucharist in its fullness, even if they don't currently have that level of faith. So if there's a way that we can respond to people who are alienated from the church, scandalized by the church, or who have lost faith uh, in, in the Catholic faith, then let's find out what it is that that pushed them away i'm i'm all for it it just seems like there's been a huge focus on well i don't like what the church teaches about marriage family life human sexuality gender etc i would so i i'd like that to be the the focus but for example the pontifical commission for the protection of minors just wrote a letter that was rather powerful uh, we can put it in the show notes uh saying please address the the issue of abuse in the life of the church because that remains a scandal that's driving people away uh, and what do you think i mean is something going to happen there abuse and cover up uh especially the cover up uh and that letter was really remarkable i mean genuinely astounding yeah um but, if you have a chance, because read it. It's really good. It addressed, you know, you you li list the things that uh, have happened and recently, right, uh, and that continue to happen, uh, that were uh, that are unfolding in real time, as it were, as that letter is being published, and every single one of them can find a salient and even an egregious example that can be laid right at Pope Francis's doorstep. You know, that was, I believe it came out in the same week, maybe within a couple of days of the announcement that uh, uh, Jean-Pierre Cardinal Richard in um, uh, emeritus of, uh, uh, he's from Marseille, yeah, uh, emeritus of Bordeaux, former president of the French Bishops' Conference, a confessed child molester is keeping his red hat 
uh, and is uh, uh, permanently suspended from ministry unless the bishop of the local diocese where he resides is okay with him you know, continuing to exercise some sort of public ministry. Otherwise, he can say mass for himself in private, um, and that's it. And he doesn't have faculties to hear confessions or, or do any other sort of public ministry, um, which, you know, uh, is, is not the way that a cleric of lower rank would be treated in a similar situation. Certainly not. And <laughs> certainly, you know, from a guy who has promised and pinky sworn zero tolerance, he is showing this red hat greater than zero tolerance. Right. And I don't care what other uh, uh, sauce you put on that. I don't care how you slice it. That is what it is. Yeah. So we've got this Again, these are these are events that are separate from the issue of the synod. These are these are events that are happening in the life of the church, but are serious and and really need to be addressed. And, and I think the if, other thing that he's not doing, let me say, is he's not tossing the nunciature in in Paris, where, by the way, uh, one of the, the the recent papal nuncios uh, was in hot water with French authorities for getting handsy with a fella. In the uh, uh, you know at a I'm talking about with the with the French authorities uh, while he was on the job, um, the French Church has gone through and is going through its own reckoning right now. Uh, there have been some genuinely appalling revelations about not only the uh, breadth and extent of, of uh, abuse in the French Church over the past seventy years, and the the numbers of uh, of, of victims, um, but uh, also with questions about who knew what and when. Right. So, why would you toss the nunciator? Well, because the nuncio is the guy who is very frequently making the. You know, he's always making recommendations. He's you know helping to to put together the turna, right. the the choice of three. Right. Who raised this guy within the church in France? Who you know, uh, you know what 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 a guy doesn't become a bishop on his own. Right. Okay. And and these questions and, aren't dissimilar to what we were asking in 2018 after the revelations of. And that we're still Theodore acting McCarrick. today, and that we're still asking today, right? right? Um, there is a determined effort not to do the hard and necessary things to clean this stuff up. So then, for all of this discussion, and and just recognizing the the very very human side of the church that can often be not just sinful, but really depraved, stupid, uh, and evil. Yeah, stupid. Yeah, that, that's a good description. Yeah, nice and simple. <laughs> the stupid and evil side of, of, of what we live through. I mean, w w what I see then is at, well, it, this is not actually coming from the Synod. First of all, the Synod is only in its second week. And so in the in the grand scheme, we, we don't know yet what the Synod is going gonna, is gonna to produce. It's four weeks long? Uh, Three and a bit. Yeah. And then again next year. Right. For, for a second session. Right. I knew that, um, but- but yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, we're, we're looking at about a month long process and then another month in a, a year from now. Right. Uh, so there's, there's a, a long time for, for this discussion, but in the lead up, a lot of the discussion about the Senate has, has kind of focused on, well, let's get the church to change moral teaching. Um, but it seems to, 
to be already moral teaching that people expect us to live by, rightly so. They, like We as a church should be held to the standard of living by our own moral teachings. I, I don't object to this idea at all. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I think we'd, we'd have bigger problems if I did object to that, right? I said this to the bishop the other day, and he was he just kind of teased me about it. I said, Bishop, I have a question about some of our safe environment stuff. Um, so safe environments, policies in the diocese. I said, I have a question about it. And he said, are you for or against? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm for it. I, I support the idea of saying, this is, this is important. I believe that we have to live by our own moral teachings and yeah. that we have a responsibility to do it. The reason people are scandalized is not that we have moral teachings. It's that we have moral teachings. And at the same time, there are so many very public and egregious examples of us as Catholics and as, as clergy in particular failing to live by the very moral teachings that we profess and that we teach and that we want to hold others to. So we have a responsibility to do this. Well, all right, then, as I'm looking back at some of the past synods, we have the Synod on the Family, Synod on the Amazon, there seemed to be a lot of emphasis on let's change our practices, let's change our pastoral approach, and let's mm -hmm. do all of this stuff, and very little to say, what if we tried to be faithful to the gospel? Um, in, in the whole synod on the Amazon, it was like, well, let's let's ordain married men in these remote parts of the jungle where where it's hard to get a priest. But never once was there a call to say, would anybody like to volunteer to go there? Could we get some missionaries? Can we ask God to send us missionaries who would be willing to go and do the hard work of living in difficult conditions, going to remote places, being far from, from home and family uh, for the sake of carrying the light of Christ into a place that it's needed? And so it seems like we're we're in this very interesting space in the life of the church that I, I don't know. I, I wonder is the is the management of the current synod pointing us in, in the right direction, or is it focused on the wrong things when maybe what we really need is the call to conversion? Maybe what we really need. I mean, need we is definitely need the call to conversion. Always, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> in the life of the church, it's always necessary. Yeah. But are we are we hearing it? So, Chris, as a, as a reporter, as a journalist who who does this, um, what I have seen from from your reporting and from the reporting of a lot of other really good outlets is that there's there's now a light kind of being shown in these places where maybe nobody noticed before. Now you have to follow Catholic news in some way to to get some of these stories. Um, some of them break out, but typically when they're reported outside of a, a Catholic news source, uh, there's something there's something wrong with the reporting. <laughs> there's some there's some error in terms of understanding what the vocabulary means or, right. or what the what the church's teaching is. Um, but as this as this stuff gets out there, I think I've said this to you before. Once upon a time, I would have been really scandalized um, by the fact that there were reporters reporting it, and now I'm. I'm finding myself just like waving the the journalist flag and and saying thank God for these for these people who are reporting this stuff. I'm, I'm mm. I enjoy reading Catholic media <laughs> like a lot. I enjoy reading Chris's articles very much, and I'm not just saying that because you're in the room. I sincerely enjoy them. Um, I love reading the Pillar and their reporting on different things because it it makes me feel like there's somebody out there who will hold me accountable. I know what I am, and I know that I am an imperfect person, right? 
And so I, I like the idea of knowing that there's that there's accountability out there that people are paying attention. Naturally, uh, not everybody who is in a position to be held accountable likes that. Sure. Do you see that as as you do this reporting, Chris? Well, I mean, yes, uh, obviously. Uh, on the one hand, you know, um, and, and it's. Uh, It's a difficult thing to talk about uh, because for me, uh, it skates pretty close to one of my pet peeves, uh, which is what we call ink on ink, right? So journalists talking about journalists and journalism is, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, do I love getting together with other scribblers and, you know, uh, guys who are, you know, seasoned shoe leather reporters and kicking around what's, uh, of course, right? Uh, but that's the sort of conversation that um, is necessary. Right. And I also think it's good for people to hear reporters uh, talk about the news. I, I used to love going on John Allen's show uh, when he had it uh, for uh, lots of different things. And sometimes we'd talk about baseball and, you know, sometimes we'd talk about the news and often as not, we'd find our way to talk about both. Yeah. Um, you know, and do, doing that sort of thing is, is, is great fun. Um, when it comes to the relationship that I think reporters, and here I don't mean just Catholic reporters, I mean reporters in general must have with their sub, with the, with the people, uh, who hold power authority position um, offices of honor and trust on their, on the beats that they have. Um, those relationships, I won't say that they're naturally adversarial, um, but it's very important that they not be too cozy. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the old Orwell maxim, right? Uh, journalism is reporting what somebody doesn't want before the public. Everything else is public relations. Um, so at, at, you know, to the extent that interests may align, I think it's good for reporters and uh, their, their, their subjects, as it were, uh, to see what they can do to bring them into alignment, right? And to work together fruitfully, to manage that tension uh, uh, fruitfully and productively. 
Um, but sometimes that is going to be impossible. And, you know, one of the things that I did say to a reporter friend of mine pretty recently, we were talking about this, um, uh, or something in this key or this register. I said, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of folks, uh, are not asking the hard questions because they're afraid to lose access. And I made the point, well, if you're not asking the questions because you're afraid to lose access, then you didn't have access. Mm. Right? Mm. Uh, Wouldn't and the loss of access be a story in and of itself? Could, uh, could, I asked the following question. Could my be. press credentials were revoked. <laughs> well, loss of access isn't press credentials getting revoked. <laughs> it's phone calls not getting answered. And there, the, the, it's on the journalist who's on the beat mm. to make sure that his subjects know that when he calls, they need to take that call whether they like him or not. Because one, they're going to get a fair shake. And two, yeah. he or she isn't calling to talk about the weather, right? That yeah. there's a story here and and the reporter has got the story and that's why he's calling because you know I'm not I'm not calling to you know find out what the story is. I have the story and I'm calling to get your comment on it. I'm giving you a chance to tell your side. Right, to talk about it. But I have this thing sewn up nine ways to Sunday. <laughs> you know, that's when you call a red hat, not yeah. before. That was an interesting uh, headline recently in the New York Post. Uh, it was something I uh, Cardinal Dolan, quote, President Biden doesn't return my calls. And it was basically Dolan saying, I've, uh, we've got this migrant crisis in New York and Catholic Charities is, is right at the forefront helping to, to take care of humanitarian aid to people who need it. And I've tried calling uh, the White House. I've tried, I've tried getting through to the, the president and I can't get a return. I can't, I can't get a call back. I can't, um, I can't get him on the line. I can't get him to respond to to letters to anything. Um, and I thought it was it was a really great publicly saying, "I'm trying. I'm doing. I'm doing my very best." And I can't get I can't get a return call because there's a real problem here. And here he is talking about this is a priority. I'm I'm dealing with that. I've got people helping me to deal with that. And that was, I thought it was it was a good move. But you're right. To say the the fact of not getting the the callback is in in and of itself. I think there's there's something to be said about that. So in the life of the church, we've got these these different events happening, and it can feel often like there's not much of a response, uh, like there's not much of a response to things that that there. It, it seems there ought to be a response. Well, on the on the reporter's side, though, it is uh, it bears mention, and it's worth saying. In fact. You know, there's a, a a duty in justice, if I could put it that way, to say that, uh, you know, uh, if you go into a story with the story already written, um, you're you're doing it wrong, and not getting the answer you want is not the same as not getting an answer. Mm. Um, just like uh, the on the other side of that, right? Uh, uh, the clerics need to understand and the higher you go in the ranks of the clerics, the more important it is. And also in my experience, the less likely it is that the actual subject will understand uh, th that uh, fair coverage is not favorable coverage necessarily. Yeah. As much as we might want the favorable coverage. <laughs> not like, getting please, it. Please praise me. 
just just praise me right, nothing yeah. else right I've, yeah I, I i may be slight with the praise there uh father sam but uh i i show up <laughs> right pretty regularly <laughs> exactly so well, t- take the w yes i've noticed i haven't been featured in nearly enough of your articles chris (laughs) which actually if if i'm appearing in his articles there's a problem i was gonna say you 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 you, careful what you wish for there (laughs) no there's a problem in that case all right so we're looking okay let's let's come back to the synod for for just a second here because i think that um and and this is something I'm I'm going to plagiarize a little bit from from the pillar the other day they they spoke about this, and, and I thought you it was just an, gave them credit. That's not plagiarizing. Uh, all right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, teacher. <laughs> uh, but I, I I love the work that JD and Ed do over there. So, yeah, I think they, they they said something that I thought was very important because we are while the story of what's happening right now in the context of the synod does bring about a lot of confusion for a lot of people. There are a lot of things that seem uncertain and there's a desire, a, a very definite desire for, for clarity. Um, there's also, I think, a very real way in which we, we have to take the long view, which is that in the history of the church, this is not the first time that there has been confusion. This is not the first time that there have been uh, scandals. This is not the first time that we've discovered that humans are sometimes corrupt and do evil things. Uh, this and is, are stupid. And are stupid. Don't forget that part. <laughs> exactly. This is not the first time. In fact, there have been many times in the life of the church when when that's been the truth. It's just that none of us living right now have have experienced it in this way with such global immediacy. Right. What happens in Rome today will be reported within the next couple of hours. We will know the story out of Rome. By, by the end of the workday today. Um, and and that is the case now. We, we have access to information about these kinds of things that at no time in the history of the church has that ever happened. And so if we're looking at all of this stuff and and our focus always goes to the, these important big picture things, how easily we can get discouraged and distracted because that news is, is negative and also how easily we can kind of forget that this isn't the first time the church has been through it. And so kind of keeping that, you know, a foot on the shore, <laughs> we're going to understand uh, what's happening right now, but we're also going to remember that this, is, this isn't the first time. Um, what is it historically that gets the church through these chapters and these, these difficult moments? Well, what... God, it's God, His mercy, saints. yeah, the communion of saints. You know, the the one of the. I used to live in Rome. Here's a practical nuts and bolts thing. My dear friend Charlie Collins pointed it out to me uh, that uh, when you know the umpteenth time that we were nearly you know run over, and you know you see narrowly uh, uh, you know, narrowly avoided uh, or averted uh, to traffic disasters that couldn't help but be, you know, mass casualty pileups. And this happens, you know, several times before 7.30 a.m. on any given Tuesday in the Eternal City, okay? Uh, And you go, well, you know, uh, that's the 
blood of the martyrs and the intercession of all of the saints of the city uh, <laughs> at work for you right there, right? I, I realized um, I'd been away from Rome long enough when I, I went back for a visit and I actually looked both ways before I crossed the street. I had just gotten in the habit of just walking because they'll stop. You just kind of get into, you get used to it. Like I'm just going, and it's up to them to stop, and and they always do. That was the amazing thing for whatever they would always stop. But then I realized I had been gone for too long. When I came back, and I stopped at the corner, and I looked, and I looked, and I just waited for an opportunity yeah, to go they're across. Careful, they'll 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 notice and they'll smell your 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 exactly. reticence, and then and they go on the attack. And then they're going yeah. on the attack. <laughs> uh, the motorinos don't stop for anybody. <laughs> you know that that that. <laughs> There's a serious point there, yeah. right? Um, w w which is that the communion of saints is 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 a real thing. Prayer is powerfully effective. Our faith is a hope in things, is a certainty of things hoped for, right? Um, uh, ours is a hope that does not disappoint. All of this is true, okay? Um, but if you're taking that as license, as carte blanche to, uh, ignore serious, uh, cultural and structural dangers, inadequacies, uh, faults, uh, you're you're doing it wrong, and there will be a heavy reckoning to pay. All right, uh, on the last day, if not before, um, that's a serious thing. That the church and the thing that we need to think through together, right, is. Has, the church has a hierarchical constitution, okay? Mm -hmm. um, that's true. Uh, it's a fact, right? Uh, but her organs of power have not always been what they are today. The way that the church has organized and ordered right. her power structures have not always been what they are today, right? Uh, so on the one side of the spectrum, you've got people who talk leveling and, you know, uh, we need to uh, give the laity all the power and uh, either, you know, abolish all distinctions and, you know, erase the reality of holy order as a practical mm. matter of governing, right? Um, and on the other hand, you've got people who say, well, the church is a hierarchy and that means the bishop has to do everything all the time for everybody and the priests with him maybe. Uh, and, and that's it. That's just the way it is. And if you don't like it, uh, go be a Presbyterian or a Congregationalist or whatever it is yeah. that you want to go be. Um, those are sort of like the, 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 you know, if we were scoring this in the way that they score Olympic diving or gymnastics, right? You'd say, all right, so those are the, that's the highest and the lowest score. You push those aside and you see what's left in the middle, right? But you, you know, need, the French judge is giving you an unfair score no matter what, you know? <laughs> or like, yeah, or the, you know, the Soviet Union back in the day, yeah. you knew that there was going to be, um, 
seriously though, uh, there is lots that could be done and we know that the church's power could be organized differently because it has been in the past. Yeah. Right. Um, and at no time in the life of the church, I would argue and have argued, I'm not the only one, but, but it's something, it's a drum that I've been beating for a while. Right. Uh, at no time in the in the life of the church have the bishops, either singly or as a body, had as much power as they do now, uh, or the the laity less, right? Um, in real terms, uh, and I'm talking about real governing power, or at the very least, real checks on the the bishops' ability to do things, um, you know, and there are ways to recover that, uh, to recover a, a healthy balance that don't go foul of the uh, church's hierarchical constitution, okay? We know this because, again, we've had them. We could try some things that we've left by the wayside, retool them, tweak them, see if they work. Mm. Uh, then again, whenever you go into something like that, uh, taking an old thing out of mothball and seeing whether it still works... You can do that, but you really ought to try to figure out why it got mothballed in the first place. Right. Well, it's G.K. Chesterton, right? Before you take down a fence, find out what it's keeping in before you before you take it down. Right? Keeping in or keeping out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because there's there's a good chance that it's there for a reason. Um, so instead of just taking it down because it's there, try to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I, I... is there a reason to be hopeful for the synod in in the sense that it could be? If we're if we're listening, right, mm -hmm. or if that's the you know it's all about listening, right, um, and you're suggesting that there are different ways to organize the church's power, to spread it out, whatever, however you want to phrase it, or concentrate it differently, you know, I wouldn't. Right. It, but well, is is that something the synod could be accomplishing? could be is it a logical impossibility is the proposition <laughs> meaning, you know like is there a reason to be hopeful that it would do that like that that could be the end result of this i hope that rainwater magically turns to beer i don't think that that <laughs> is you know uh, a logical impossibility either I you know I and and there there are apparently precedents right this is, this is I'm sure I could find one in the annals of uh, uh, of, of of history um I don't I mean the if I if I may mm -hmm. One way to answer that question is, well, sure, you can hope for that, but but why? What, what's the point? Like, it just because you want the synod to do well? Doing right. well for the synod would be what? You know, measured, I think, in other, by other metrics, in other ways. You know, um, if it, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't make things worse, Um if this is supposed to be uh, an experiment in new things, why should we expect it to be, you know, we're basically beta testing a new model here, okay? Um, that's, I, 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 can you hope that it 
you know, doesn't have it, that it's completely debugged and perfectly functional and performing way above spec. Yeah, you can, but that's not reasonable or yeah. right. really even the thing that you should be going for. What a, what a tragic place to be that we, we might even, even say something like, well, the measure, the measure of, of this would be that it didn't make things worse. Right? Like that's, if, if that's the, the best thing that we can say, I mean, to me, that's, that's not overly, I mean, it's, it's positive in, in one sense, but not, not overly right. positive in another, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting question, Matt, that you're raising because I listened to it and I honestly, my brain just stopped. <laughs> so I have no the, the idea. question of, should we be helpful? Yeah. Like I have no idea how to, how to really answer that. I, I don't really look at the synod. Um, and and think that there's much. I don't expect much. I mean, I'm to be honest with you, n nor do I. Yeah. You know, I just it's just that we're talking about like w different ways the church could be structured, and we've we've seen both this like seemingly mass centralization of power, right? And you just brought that up, and so I was thinking to myself, well, what's the proper balance, and is it possible? And and I guess proper could be relative to the time, right? But for us. What's the proper balance? And is it possible that this synod can usher in that proper balance? Which seems to me at least at least a reason to potentially be hopeful in the face of what seems like a lot of discouragement. Yeah. See, I I don't if I'm just looking at the the handwriting on the wall. It, Was that a reference to the Crayola? It it wasn't, but I like that. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> if I'm looking at the Synod logo Crayola on the wall. Yeah. No, it it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of that going on. Um like what what I'm seeing is is more uh yeah, it's it's more kind of questioning a lot of things that are in fact important. But questioning it in such a way that it's making a claim that doesn't necessarily measure up to reality. Like the claim that uh, lots of people in the life of the church want this thing to happen, whereas the answer actually seems to be that most people in the church, as Pope Francis himself said before the synod began, don't care about this process. Mm. And so it, I, I feel like in some ways with, with the synod, if, if they're asking these questions about a lot of the practical pastoral care questions and things, but they're not actually focusing on what Francis said, that is that lots of people don't seem to care, we, we might be missing a really important point, which is that a lot of people don't care. And maybe maybe a place for us to focus some attention would be on that indifference. Why are mm. why are so many people indifferent? And like let's let's try to let's try to listen understand to that, that and listen to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, or listen to the fact that there are a lot of people who don't feel that their voice would actually be taken seriously. I think there's a lot of people in the life of the church right now who, who don't think that if given the chance, anybody at the yeah. synod level would really pay any attention to anything that they're saying. So we've got a lot of people who think feeling that, that disaffection. So it's, it's an interesting point. Um, I think another, another thing that it's important to, to point out here is that we're kind of struggling in, in this moment in the life of the church with the idea of what can I say without sounding like I'm opposed? 
Yes, I right? couldn't agree with you more. Because I think I, I think that, that's that's the thing. That it, it can easily sound like we're we're opposed to yeah. what's going on, but it's it's How actually do I make not it clear that I'm I'm not just trying to rip into this. Right. But pointing out a thing or having a question about how something is being done or saying that does not seem to me to be the best approach and like offering a, a, a critique for the sake of I, I would like this to work. I would like something to, to be fruitful. I'd like the church to be built up. Uh, it's not meant as a, as a personal critique of, of the pope or, or any other other right. person. But hey, And am I not invited? Yeah, but sometimes there are some things that don't seem to be phrased correctly. Sometimes there there are things that are are wrong and and hey, don't tell me that it's this thing when it's very obviously another thing. I think right? that, yeah, that this is one of the differences in, sure, there's, you know, sort of character and personality traits that that, that, that differ from person to person, right? Uh, but some of those are also habits of mind that, mm -hmm. that, that we form. Uh, I haven't, felt the need to qualify myself for quite some time. Uh, and I, I'm going to stick with that um, because if you do, then, you know, part of my thinking is, well, why, why, why do you, you know, I sort of turn, uh, you know, I started, start head shrinking a little bit, right? Why do you feel that way about, why did you feel the need to say that? Um, you know, what is that revealing about you? And also, what is it revealing about the people with whom you were speaking? Do you need to explain or justify yourself to these folks? Who are they to ask you for some expression of uh, bona fides, uh, you know, of good faith or of upright intention uh, before you offer any criticism? Are these men so fragile that you need to assuage their egos and make sure that they feel okay about themselves before you level criticism? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> and, and well, okay. Uh, but, uh, that, that, that's not been my experience of you. No, no, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, kidding. I'm but just uh, folks, you can't see he's actually dressed up in a miter and ring right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> th those are the fellas I'm talking about. Um, I, I, that's so interesting to me. Meaning, like, I've—I don't know. I've maybe it's just how I grew up, or the culture I grew up in, or whatever. But like, the idea of the idea of criticizing a bishop to me is so foreign, and I, and and it, maybe it shouldn't be, right? Like you're saying, why do you feel the need to qualify? And it's because if I'm just being oh. totally honest with you, I'm like, because who the heck am I to say something about Pope Francis? And may, and that's probably wrong. I recognize that, you know. If, if in well, fact there are things being said. Well, if you're going to criticize a pope or any other bishop, make sure you've got your ducks in a row. Right, right. And, and well, I'm, I, I guess I'm presupposing the idea that like it's something that's worth criticizing, you know? Yeah. Because that's not like I do this very frequently. <laughs> well, I think there, there's a big difference right now. And this, this is also a thing that we're kind of experiencing for the first time. Um, again, when... In, in the history of the church, when there have been criticisms of the pope or the papacy really broadly, right. um, the biggest controversies have always been at a theological level. So this, yeah, this heretic this. arises yeah. and, and teaches something that's, that's false and starts to spread the heresy and people start to follow it and the church has to step in and say, right. no, that's wrong. But in the modern era, 
with mass media and things like that, the the Pope becomes a personality that's much more uh, visible and accessible. Yeah. And and that goes back. I mean, the the whole idea of ultramontanism, I think, is what we're really living through right now. Um, and it's it's not really a problem that we've ever solved. Uh, but to kind of always look to to the highest authority, and we face that in the United States when we look at our political system, mm-hmm. um, we always look to to the to the federal uh, before we look to our like local town government. Right. And maybe if we spent more time focused on our town government, things would be better. You know, I mean, it's a wild idea, but <laughs> I, I happen to believe it. Um, and I think the same thing is actually true. You're a like, wild guy. I what can I say? <laughs> it's the beard, you know. <laughs> I, I think the same thing can be true actually in the life of the church that there's there's a reason to focus locally like in your in your parish community in your in your diocese uh, there's a reason to have that that sense of closeness there and and sometimes that might mean saying I disagree with that decision I don't think that's the right pastoral approach right. and I'd say criticism you know? I mean like fraternal correction yeah obviously but like but... To, to do it in a in a spirit of of honesty and and actually this is what francis calls for right so to go the ultra parousia parousia right i i want this full honesty there the... is a there is though there is a time and a place for everything right and there's you know uh you're uh, uh a teacher of high school students and uh you're uh now i understand congratulations a father yeah uh so uh, that that's wonderful he does his research um <laughs> And yeah, not not a stalker, just a journo. The line is thin <laughs> but bright. Um, and so you you probably haven't experienced firsthand yet, but you will, and you will soon learn to you know know the difference and be get a, develop a feel for the difference between uh, a. A snotty punk kid who is complaining about something that he has really no right to complain about, mm-hmm. and a kid who is uh, bringing a legitimate complaint to you because you need to deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you have to listen for a little while in order to figure out which if, which of those it is. Mm-hmm. What's great uh, is when you realize that you've been both. Yep. Yeah. And now you're on the receiving end of both. <laughs> you're going to find yourself you know, tempted to call up your own dad in the middle of the night and, you know, apologize or, oh, you know. That was uh, one of my favorite moments was doing a confirmation retreat and we had some uh, some of our seminarians were helping out with it. And at the end of it, one of them said, I need to go call my confirmation catechist and apologize for everything that I did in confirmation class <laughs> because of my behavior, just sitting and watching these kids. Oh man, I did exactly the same thing. And it was terrible. Now I realize that now, you know, the, but the, the, the full parousia, right. The, in, in the spirit of honesty, here's, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's, here's the problem. While it's encouraged, mm-hmm. it doesn't always seem to be received. And I think that's where there's also a struggle for a lot of people because, and again, this is, it's, it's a shifting in our understanding. We, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, and he said, we, we came of age with John Paul II. And in the figure of John Paul II, we had not only somebody who, who taught, um, but we had somebody who had a compelling story, and there was there was something inspiring with that. Uh, with Benedict the Sixteenth, similarly, uh, there was a clarity of thought and and of teaching. Um, 
and and we don't experience that in the same way right now. Um, I know I came I came of age right. Now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's so often a a different. Uh, it just there's there just seems to be more questions, um, and there also seems to be a, a resistance to any any kind of um, any kind of criticism. And if if you look back at like the papacy of John Paul II. When, when people were criticizing the Pope, it was they, they were pushing things that were contrary to what the church teaches. But now the people who are being accused of, of unfairly criticizing the Pope are the people who are saying, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, <laughs> right? The people who, who hold to the creed. And, and so there's this, this tension right now where it, it feels like, and I don't know if this is actually from the Pope himself. I don't, I don't believe that it, that it is, but it can feel that way sometimes that there's just this, this tension and it's not always applied appropriately, or there's a desire to correct certain things that it's kind of applied in the wrong direction. And so we're living through a time that I think is, is really unique. And that's why I was so grateful to the guys at the pillar for what they were saying with just the historical perspective. This isn't the first time the church has been through difficulties like this. This isn't the first time we've, we've dealt with um, people who aren't always good at their job. About the criticism point and the differences that that in in approach, one of the things that I would say is that uh, uh, I I get it, I do, mm-hmm. and I think that my point for abundance of clarity here was not that there's something at all wrong or untoward with the. Uh, with, with the desire to make clear that, you know, hey, I'm on your side. I'm just saying this, right? Big, right? Um, I think my point is that that's learned behavior and we've learned it, uh, the collective we, okay? Yeah, yeah. We've, we, we've learned it from our ecclesiastical betters, as it were. And that, that to me is a, is, a, is a problem. And it's one that I think we would do well, all of us, to unlearn. Because uh, I know I had to. Uh, I couldn't do the job that I did for so many years right. uh, if if I'd kept it, right? Um, and that's, you know, not to say that one doesn't uh, recognize facts, including ecclesiastical facts of rank, station, right. position, what have you. You know, like in the military, you salute the you salute the rank, not the man. Right. That's a great line from Band of Brothers. Oh, it's such a good line. <laughs> You know? Salute the rank, not the, right. All right, we're running out of time here, but Chris, if you could put on your prognosticator hat and looking at this global synod on synodality, um, is there anything that you see that we should prepare ourselves for? If you are hopeful of momentous changes coming certainly in the immediate aftermath of this gathering, um, prepare yourself for disappointment. Uh, If you are fearful of an impending uh, great apostasy or uh, act of uh, divine castigation, um, rest easy. This is just a big three-week gathering of bishops who, whatever else they get, are going to do, they're going to spend you know a good deal of time 
uh, haunting the bars and restaurants of the Borgo Pio for the next few weeks. All right. Um, which are some great which are, restaurants. Which are terrific and are real, I'm really <laughs> glad they're doing it. And I think that that is part of this thing that people don't realize that, you know, a lot of this is sort of the, the in-between time and the soft uh, 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 unscheduled parts of uh, parts of this gathering, right? That that we're you know, how do you build collegiality? Well, you you build relationships, and that's what happens uh, on, on the sidelines of these things. We talk about the church being a very human institution. We forget that it's human in that way too. I mean, people need to get to know one another. Uh, so a good bit of that's going to happen, and then um, in about another year, you know, we're going to get together and do this thing again, and then maybe something will happen. You know, um, at least that's what the schedule is calling for, if I'm not mistaken. And um, it's it's going to be fine. History will continue to keep happening unless it doesn't, in which case that will mean that our Lord and Savior is returned in glory to judge the living and the dead, and this will be the least of our worries. On that note, Chris, thanks for joining us on the tangent. I'm here to help. <laughs>